Hello and welcome to a Taylor's Tales podcast. This is Chris's Corner. I'm your host, Chris Taylor, and we're back this week with a brand new guest. I'd love to welcome one of the old friends of, uh, of many people in this in, in my hometown of Taylor's. It's David Canham. How are you doing, David? Very well, thank you, Chris. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year, bud. Happy New Year. To, to those listening, uh, my previous podcast, I have been rude. I have forgotten to say Happy New Year to all of you. Um, so for, for that past remark, I'll say thank, Happy New Year to you all now. Dave, what's been going on in your life? How's, how's things? How's, how's life going? Yeah, very well, thank you. I'm just cracking on, really. I'm a teacher, so, you know, sort of school's still uh, going ahead, albeit virtually. Um, had a lovely Christmas break, which was great. And, yeah, just kind of cracking on with, with everything. I think what we can do to our sort of you know, best abilities, really, keeping fit and healthy and seeing people for socially distanced walks and stuff like that. But it's all a bit different, isn't it? A new reality. A new reality with with new ways of of living. but you know I love that you know you you brought up your teaching straight off so you're you're an essential worker and in my eyes you know all teachers are anyway and we're going to straight that out there so you are somebody who's on the front lines so similar to one of my mum's friends uh, who's a nurse I consider you guys in the in the same line of work basically because you're dealing with little monsters like kids on a daily basis that no, kid of course but. Um, <laughs> to, those, to, to those who don't know you, apart from being a teacher, how would you, how would you introduce yourself to, to those? Have you ever seen Brad Pitt in Troy? Yes. No, nothing <laughs> like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, just, I don't know, I guess a bit of a, a, bit of a gentle giant, really. Um, yeah, someone who's just kind of a bit of a big kid, pretty um, difficult to embarrass, although I'm sure at some points in this podcast that uh, that will be broken. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, mate. I, well, I, I permanently put myself in a state of embarrassment just by doing this podcast in the first place, bud. So you don't, don't need to worry about that. We'll put it all on my end. We'll, we'll focus on that. But that's a lovely, lovely way to, to put yourself because I would definitely agree with that. You are, a, you are a someone of a gentle giant who has the ability to take on anybody with, with force if need be. Um, so, yeah, no, I totally agree. And, you know, to, to those listeners, I've known Dave for, it feels, feels like a lifetime, but really we, we don't know each other too well. So this is like our first time talking in a while. And, it, you know, I see you at social events through, you know, through our, our, our common ally, Jonathan Edwards, who's been on the podcast before. Um, and this is, this is nice to, I, I'm, I'm following a bit of his advice in the sense that I'm trying to reconnect with people who I think have something to give in this life. And Dave, Dave's one of these people. So Dave, straight off the mark, COVID's affected a lot of people. It's forced me into to being creative in, in a one way or another. How has it made you, you know, look, in, in look into life? Have you done anything special? Have you, have you done things differently recently? Well, I mean, I think COVID and lockdown in itself has been in a really interesting sort of phase, phase of everyone's lives in that I think for a period of time, people resorted to looking outward and you know, going on their phones, digital, social media and all that. And there comes a point, I think, where everyone had done enough outward looking um, and started looking inside and reflecting on what they want and how they're going to go about achieving that. So for me, it's been a matter of thinking, let's doing that sort of self-reflection and thinking, where am I going? What do I want to achieve? And like, how am I going to feel fulfilled? So yeah, absolutely. Like you alluded to being creative there. So kind of taking up different pillars, I guess, in your, in your life where 
we have sort of like creative outlets, logical ones, um, physical, mental, spiritual well-being, and trying to make sure that you bring them all up together. Um, that's going to be my way of of cruising through this, really, and yeah. just bouncing off those different pillars. Is is there anything that sticks out for you? Do you think, like, for instance, something that I am forcing myself into doing, and in one way or another, is is meditation? Quite, uh, my mind is, you know, it's it's ticking constantly. There's there's always something going on in there. Do you do you find yourself having to deal with the the, the mad monkey mind, as as I put it? Yeah, it's really um, it's a really important thing that you bring up, and I feel one that we don't really focus too much on in, in, in education and in sort of a institutional setting actually and what I think we should definitely go into more detail on and you know you bring up a really really good point and meditation is an interesting one isn't it how, I mean, how, how, how do you meditate what's your way of doing that uh, I, I'm unorthodox I used to use headspace um, I've said this before on the podcast and I, you know I'm happily to, to put it out again I take Star Wars meditation music and I put it in the background and basically I'll, I'll sit in a corner and I'll just have the Star Wars theme going and I'll, I'll try my best to get 10 minutes of just self inward reflection, just saying um, the forces, I'm one with the force, the force is with me. And I'll, I'll say that over and over again. It sounds silly saying it out loud, but it, you know, it, it stops me from thinking, you know, it stops me from, from doing anything. I don't know about you, but <laughs> do you have anything that you do like that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean yeah, it's, it's really important. I mean, I wouldn't say I go through sort of the sun saltations of, of yoga or anything like that, but I have my kind of, you know, morning mantra, um, which is sort of like a, a prayer, if you like. And um, we go for that every, every morning and evening. And just having sort of routines, moments in the day where you're sort of exercising sort of little disciplines, really. And I think that's just when you're disassociating your, your mind with the moulds that you're putting out into the world and that ego. Um, and it might just be little practices, like the first thing I'll ever do before I get out of bed is, is say, say that mantra and then I'll make my bed straight away, like the first thing I ever do. And I've done that since I was really young and it just sets like the tone for the day. Um, so if I come back to that bed later in the evening and I've achieved absolutely nothing with my time, I've always made my bed and that's going to one up, if you like, on, on the start you, of the day. That's so good. I love that. You, you've you clicked onto something that I hold very dear to my heart. We talk, I, I talk about with friends and um, a, a lot about uh, Jordan Peterson. And if you don't know who he is, he says, he's, he says to do what you've done, to, to make your bed in the morning, to tidy your room, to reflect your mind. And I love that. You know, you said you're saying you're starting the day off positively well that's you know even if you don't accomplish anything that's it man you've done it i mean peterson's an incredible you know, psychologist and he's done some great work so you know if he's saying this probably got some weight <laughs> yeah man but it's, it's not just him like if you don't if you don't like jordan and there's a lot of people who don't for some reason um there's also people like David Goggins. There's these military guys out there who say making your bed in the morning has a reflection on who you are as a person in, in tidiness. And you can be trusted to, to do the small tasks to take on the bigger tasks down the line. Yeah, it's interesting on the military. So I remember year 10, um, went, to, went into the army for our work experience. And they, they hammered that into us, make, make our beds. And if it was a uh, you know, crease on it, they'd they flip it and we were back to square one. And it doesn't matter if it took an hour, <laughs> it was all going to be a perfect, perfect spread. 
I, I can definitely relate. I did cadets and I, I know exactly what that's all about in the early days of uh, the bed flipping when you're, uh, I think it was like 14 or 15, you're terrified of this ginormous guy who just flipped it. This isn't good enough. Do it again. Just absolutely crushing. But yeah, I think exercise is a really good discipline for sure and just you know, cracking on really. <laughs> I to totally agree, mate. I love that. And I love that you've brought up that, that just almost there's a level of gratitude, isn't there? For just doing those small things. So we live in time, don't we? Which is just so quick. It's so fast-paced, and and just taking those times just to pause and be in the moment, even if it is brushing your teeth or whatever it is. Um, it's just making sure you're holding the holding the present present time. And I think that's what, it's just strengthening those connections and those opportunities not to be in the future or in the past in your head. Um, that's really important, and what it's all about. Really, we spend too much of our time not in 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 the moment and taking all those times just to be be so is so essential to good mental health and well-being yeah couldn't couldn't agree more bud and i was going to ask this as well in, in in my mind this is an essential for the next generation um how how do you have any sort of influence in your new job in a way that you would like to bring this forward you that you would like to to sort of put exercise and meditation and all these on, on, on the kids that you're, you're teaching? That's a great question. I think um, the role of any teacher goes beyond their subject and what they, they teach. Um, it's a massively pastoral role. We take the role of, you know, counsellor, parent, um, obviously classroom academic, and it's a bit of a concoction really. So I think just exercising the understanding yourself. So if you've got a kid who's maybe demonstrating like a misbehaviour to identify that that individual is I used to sort of say that you know, children are symptoms, not causes. So if they're exhibiting behaviours which are, you know, tr tricky, there's probably a reason behind that. And it's probably not you. Um, so it's about kind of removing yourself and that mould, how you want that child to conform to being and having those sort of progressive conversations with them, saying to them, instead of, you know, giving them a detention straight away, saying, do you understand how that's made me feel? Why are you feeling that way? How can I help you there? And that, again, that, reflection that they're then doing it's like teaching somebody to fish versus buying them one you know that kind of biblical story that. right it's it's progressive and and they can take that forward with them and then for the next classroom teacher they'll recognize that behavior um hopefully and and that's what i see as kind of a, a coaching perspective um for young people and i would almost argue that that stuff is is more important than their academic grades because it's going to take them further for sure um something, something i would if i had the power build into the curriculum um obviously yeah so it's a very big question <laughs> dude no I, I love that i really do and what you've just described is something that is missing from a lot of people in our generation now is that there's a lot of annoyance in the sense that you felt a lot of your problems can be dismissed very easily by others and everyone has their own problems and like you've just said there, that kid's problems may not be anything to do with you. And the fact that you're taking the time to just say, ask them, why? What's going on? Like, that could just be an absolute floodgate overload. One day, you, you may find yourself with a child who may just cry and boo and just let out because, just because you're the first person to just ask, what's going on? How are you? How's things going? Before... I just remember if you didn't do as you told, detention, get out, done. That was it. So it's amazing. 
amazing to hear that. State education as well. Um, you know, we've got I'm, I'm teaching 30 students at once, and you've got you know, student A who's had caviar for dinner, and student B who's had a bottle of Coke for breakfast. Yes. And you know, you're there's a, such a spectrum there, isn't there, of of, of emotions and, and all those kind of past experiences, and you've then got to kind of fact that into how you respond. And there is an argument to kind of act holistically and to treat everyone the same way, but I would argue that that doesn't get you, certainly doesn't get in you and their good books. Because um, all sometimes people need, even people who, who aren't students, so they just want somebody to ask them if they're all right. And that can be enough. <laughs> and, and that can you know be really, really fundamental and, and progressive for them that further down the line. So just knowing that someone's there to talk to them and not tell them off all the time is, is essential. Mm. 100%. And I love and the effect that you're going to have is going to be a domino effect as your career goes on i imagine i have no experience with kids i have no experience so there's no way that i should be putting out opinions on this at all but having someone like yourself giving this context given you know you're fighting the good fight and that we can be out here knowing that there's someone out there trying their best trying you know the emphasis on the word in the first place that you've taken the first step and you're not blaming others and you're not blaming the kid. And it's not something that you could just be shunning off on society. It's this ability to just take that first step and make it happen. You know, it's, yeah, it's incredible. Anyway, I'm going to move on before I get too sentimental, mate. That's just incredible. You just <laughs> keep something off there. Right crazy. In, yeah. Um, but yeah, so we've talked about a little bit, of everything there we've moved on gone from mindfulness meditation you know talking as a, as a, as a teacher um i do want to focus in on that a little bit in the sense that what what made you get into teaching because you've you've been all you know you've been very much into geography but what what made you focus on teaching well i mean for me i guess um the, the question i was asking myself was sort of went through school a levels and my, my degree, graduate program, and then PGCE. And I, I knew that whatever I was going to do, whatever, whatever job I was going to be in for the long run, the capacity had to be that I was around kind of development um, of, of other people. And I like to leave people in a better place than I found them. And I think that in teaching, you can access that. Um, and I think it also allowed me to exercise like a subject that I do really have a passion for. Um, so with geography, for example, you know, I'm really interested in people and places and that is in essence what geography is. And I think it's a really exciting time for the subject as well, where a lot of your listeners will be thinking about their geography lessons and saying, well, we just learn about places and flags and capital cities. And that's absolutely part of it. But it's definitely moving away now from labeling the world, um, how many sort of flags can you identify to unveiling it and making those connections and analyzing trends and links. Um, and in a world, I guess, which is being progressively like dominated by chats of sustainability and global warming, I would even argue it's like really necessary now to understand what it means to have a finite resource or a renewable energy source. And we can explore all those things as long as you can touch it uh, you know into a location or, or people whatever it might be you can hone in on that and that that can be a, a lesson um so it's massively varied and i i, I think teaching is 
day to day is so different. You can never master it. You know, it takes a lifetime. Um, but that's great. And I think that therefore allows me to develop every day too. So a bit of a double win. Oh, mate. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. And the fact that you're taking each day as it is and just trying to move with it is, is key as well. That, that's something to focus in on. But I was, I was going to say that that's such an interesting topic in the first place. I can definitely understand why you're, you're into it because today's technology needs to reflect the needs of, what, of the future just as much as it is in just getting things done. And so renewable energy source, we've got a couple of solar panels on the roof. I love the fact that, you know, it's possible. You know, we need to teach kids that there's this ability to, to make that choice. Now, the fact that my, my family have the ability to do that is definitely a, a privileged one. But also it's understanding in the first place that you can make the choice to do so, whether you are or you aren't. And there is a line there that is saying we're going to try and help not just us, but we're going to try and help the future as well. You know, and it's. It's very difficult. How are you getting that across to kids? Because this is like such a complex, just for someone who's 25, you know, who's been through university and is, is trying to comprehend some complex topics without a degree in geography. How are you getting that across to, to young people? Communication in sort of science, of which geography is sort of considered one, is a massive, massive um, topic of debate at the moment, especially in like academic literature. But we sort of, Definitely, first and foremost comes your passion for geography. I think if any student um, you know, can see that, that their teacher has a passion for the subject, and I'm sure you and, and your listeners have a teacher in mind, you, you think about and go, oh, they were so passionate about what they said and did, and that immediately makes them feel interested and then engage. Um, I think then it's about making sure that it's made accessible. So whatever you're trying to you know, convey, you're sort of saying it in a way that they're understanding it. So you know, use of analogies, um, why is it relevant to them? How is it going to affect them in the long run? And you just touched on, you know, for the longevity in the future of like, humanity with, with sustainability. That's a really good example. Um, and just making it fun, breaking it up, making it interesting. And that, you know, can be you know, in different forms depending on the students and, and their, their kind of skill set that they have. So it's never the same with class to class, but yeah, we tried different activities. Can't imagine it is <laughs> one bit, but I, I was going to ask about that as well because we're in COVID. You're in lockdown. You're you're doing this amazing thing where you are trying to get it across on a day to day basis. How is online learning taking a turn turn for you? And have you found that it's been difficult to still get that message across, even if you are as passionate as you are for geography? Well, I mean, so this is my first week of online learning um, full time. Obviously, with the announcement. Um, school closures a couple of days back um this is our first week as, as teachers doing that uh, for the entire sort of school secondary school um at, at present you know i haven't really got the the feedback um in terms of, kind of how students are, are, are responding to it at all but it seems to be going going well um you can still record lessons and, and, and convey those messages with your enthusiasm absolutely um, and it's just making sure that those students are then able to access that content and that goes into a whole melting pot of of questions and issues and stuff uh, around sort of technology and can students all access those things but yeah it's, it's undoubtedly easier in a classroom when you have your own space and and that kind of student teaching uh, student teacher relationship there but um my hope is that we can still do do our work and and you know help these young people to to fulfill and grow and um meet those kind of 
not just academic requirements but kind of social understandings of of those topics we do teach yeah i yeah i think the one of the things that you've said there that has, has immediately made me latch on and, and sort of really think about it is the fact that do kids have access do they have the technology to be able to do so the irony is is that companies that like that i work for and others in in the it industry we throw away all of this technology that these kids could be using in the first place even if it is redundant so let's say it's a, a windows 7 machine or something that is outdated in the industry it would still provide somebody who's in a vulnerable place where they can't get access to the internet but they can't get access because they may not be able to afford it there needs to be some sort of program maybe not government because the government has is already tried to do the best it can in the in the scenario that we have but maybe there needs to be some sort of solution have you ever thought this about this with with anyone at all yeah i mean it's, it's no it's no big secret that there are families and people out there who won't have the provision access to to remote learning um in the way that other people do um there are, you know we hear stories about families with six children all trying to access six different types of lessons um, with one computer um, and it's just I think just amplifies the, the the issue really and probably the resistance from the government to close schools down um, and it's a really it's a real moral dilemma I think for a lot of teachers as well because you know we do this job you know, not for the money um, but because we want to you know make sure that young people are safe and secure and you're safeguarding them and you're, you're helping them to develop and you can't do that to the degree that we want to if you know students are back home and so a lot of teachers don't want to to leave school but then are equally aware of the difficulties and the dangers of, of the virus and so it is a bit of a battle between i need to make sure that i'm healthy and secure so i can do my job and make sure that my family the people who i go home to are safe but equally i need to facilitate the safeguarding of these young people as well and yeah it's definitely a battle bit of a balance i think that what you have alluded to is really really um interesting and i wasn't aware that you know it companies such as the one that you're working for do throw away all those kind of um pieces of software um i don't know if that's something you could talk about with your <laughs> with your managers uh, and... there's definitely something out there but and i think that it's not just the company i work for there's companies out there that I've worked for previously that I thoroughly have seen them physically throw them away. <laughs> so it is, it does make it bring to, to question when you are trying to have this battle, you are underfunded, you're not getting paid for, to do these things for fun. This is something that is, it's quite serious. And yet there's very little outside help other than from the government. Um, and I know I'm not alluding to a question here, but I am kind of interested in your perspective at the same time on, on the topic. Um, do you think this could be something that maybe there needs to be something other than the government pushing for this? And do you think that this could be something that is set up through, how do I put this, outside of a gov governmentary fund that, could help schools in the future absolutely i mean if you, if you look at um, another example let's say like food banks for example food, bank, food banks aren't always run by government initiatives um mm. there have been instances where massive supermarket chains have been seen to be discarding really absolutely fine food and not giving it to let's say people who can't afford it or maybe homeless or even to food banks um, and they've taken the initiative and the drive to then go and 
deliver that off their own back to to food banks where people can go and acquire those goods and i don't see how it can be any different with technology industry um, based companies where you know if you've got 100 laptops which are out of date yeah you can throw them in the bin absolutely but where would be the harm in just nipping down to your local uh, school and saying hi look i've got these take it or leave it but i'm sure they're not going to say no um and that's no sweat off the government's back at all that's, that could be a private company um, initiative and choice think uh you've given me something to think about there bud and for me to go away with so that's task for for chris to to sort out in his own time so there we go uh moving on from that and i I do want to stick on the uh, teaching topic because i can see that you're passionate and i can see the enthusiasm for this part of your life and i wanted to know like is there someone who who stands out as a teacher in your past or somebody in today who's who's made you go down this path or it may not be a person. It may have just been something you've always wanted to do. So I was, I was, I was keen to see what you thought on that. Yeah, I say I've always wanted to sort of teach in some capacity, um, and that sort of developmental aspect. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm surrounded by a sort of family of teachers. So mum is a uh, special needs teacher. Yes. Rather than a teaching assistant, and, and I've been a teaching assistant before I'm going to university as well. So I was always quite aware of the ed- educational side of things. I had a generally a really positive. Um, sort of time at my own, uh, throughout my own education. Uh, I had a great former tutor in year seven, who I think as an 11 year old, I sort of looked up to as a bit of a god. Um, you know, this man who seemed to have everything together and probably, probably didn't, but uh, I, I just liked the way that he could sort of resolve issues. And I definitely thought that that was a really important, important um, thing that he was doing. And something I could see myself wanting to do in the future. Um, it also, I think, it's a really sociable, sociable job. And I could see that a lot of teachers who I spoke to and, and was taught by had these really sort of positive interactions, not only with staff and colleagues, but also with students and, and young people. And that's a really good social skill to be able to develop. So that was a kind of a melody, I guess, of, of reasons why I wanted to go into it. And I think it's sort of like a natural progression of things, really. Um, it's all, it all just kind of fell into place. I, yeah. I get you there because I had a very similar experience with my form tutor. Um, he was a legend, just like yours, it sounds like. And he, he had that effect of, I mean, poor guy. I just think back to, to, <laughs> to all of the stuff he had to deal with growing up. I mean, it wasn't necessarily me, but it was, I wasn't like, you know, there was problems, but I was, I, I watched <laughs> as, as, as the problems unraveled around him because we had quite a, a, a tough group of lads being in that in that form form life i don't know about yourself but there's always going to be some characters uh, oh absolutely uh, there, are, there are times we think back to in school i think we all go how on earth did we get away with that like that went on in in my classroom would absolutely be having none of it but no it, 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 yeah it's some good stories definitely from that that side of things yeah no th- thank you very much as well for like I don't want to mention anyone's name because they could be currently teaching, they could be currently working. So we, we will, if anyone's name comes up, you will be bleeped out immediately because uh, everyone wants privacy in this world and this is important. But we are no, we know who Dave's alluding to and that's a good thing because that person deserves credit. And hopefully if they one day watch this, they understand the impact they've had on Dave and myself. So, excellent. Um, I'm so glad that you said that, mate, as well, because it's, we all need a muse in life to be able to get some sort of format some sort of how would you put it a structure and so you've talked about how you 
exercise, you do mindfulness, you do meditation and all these things. You've talked about how you're teaching and you're passionate. Did these all click together? Did you, when, when did you figure this out? Where was, the, was there a, a gradual process for you to, to get to this point? Place to be fair, I think, like I say, with geography, it kind of has its hands in so many pies, um, you know, going sort of having an interest in like traveling. Well, of course, that's kind of countries. Um, sport was something that I got into from a very young age and could exercise through, uh, through school, again, education. Um, and I think just building up this picture, really, they, yeah, they all sort of seemed interlinked and not worlds apart and can kind of, uh, I guess, complement each other in many ways, you know, having passions for things like astronomy well that's just maps in the sky right <laughs> and it's kind of it, it's all it's all these different things that kind of come together absolutely so i wouldn't say that they're in isolation per se yeah no i know, I know what you mean and and i was going to say with astronomy uh i recently read um neil degrasse tyson's book i don't know if you you've ever heard of him at all he's um somebody who's quite a strong opinionated guy on the planets on the solar systems and how the the whole thing came together um he's just uh, an absolute character apart from uh, our very own david attenborough i would say that he's also got some something to bring to the table when it comes down to a a voice that commands your your interest i don't know about you but did you ever um find that david attenborough inspired you within like the the way of the world when you were growing up at all well, absolutely, a national treasure, right? I, I think, um, you know, there's reasons we still use his lessons, uh, sorry, his videos and lessons today. Um, yeah, absolutely massive impact. Um, he, you know, he's, he's that voice we all kind of go to in our heads of leading that national kind of front on what it is to, to make sure we understand the natural world and protect it and have it for the future, really, especially with this latest Netflix documentary. Not sure if you've seen that, but really worth a, worth a go. Um, yeah, I mean... I think it's for somebody to watch one of his programs and not be inspired to a degree by the natural world. That's, that's a pretty big ask. Um, yeah. That's a way, doesn't he, of you know, <laughs> articulating it all and, and engaging you. Um, and, and I think he comes across in a way that is very accessible again. So we can be learning about the gazelles of the, the savannah. <laughs> but suddenly that's really interesting and I want to know all about them just by the way he's explaining it and the knock-on impacts it has on, on food chains and stuff like that. So very good very good voice i think yeah i mean you, what you've just spoken about there actually backs up what you said earlier in, in the way that if passion is put into your project you're gonna get other people to want to learn about the stuff that you're talking about and and david you know ironically your name david and david attenborough similar in the sense that you're putting in this passion into a subject to get others to listen as well so i, lo I love that and i think that it's important um, to understand the link between the two there and even uh, if you haven't heard of him before Neil deGrasse Tyson who also does the equivalent of the American version uh, <clears throat> so we've talked about yeah well actually yeah we haven't gotten to travel yet that's a huge part to talk about for you <laughs> Dave as well so geography very heavily linked with travel and very heavily linked in looking at the world in a different way and learning about different cultures. Do you have a, a favorite place that you've traveled to? I found out it was just being so different, really. I mean, I've, I've been at a few places, but um, I think when I was sort of 16, I went to Cambodia, which was a great experience. I was run through school, actually, it was like a school expedition, um, went out there, 
and basically spent a month just going around the country. Um, so we flew into Phnom Penh, the capital city, and then went, explore, went to explore Angkor Wat, which is one of the sort of seven ancient wonders of the world. It took a million men a lifetime to make this massive, useful um, sort of structure. And then spent two weeks in the Cardamom Mountains doing an, uh, what, sort of a wildlife conservation project and setting that up. And then a f another week helping to establish um, an orphanage in a place called Takao, which is a really rural, uh, um, really rural province. Um, and that was just incredible, really, you know, having going to an orphanage where this language barrier exists. You know, none of us spoke Khmer, which is the local language. Um, you've got 60 young people running around. So I was saying, can I, can I help? And you're literally, you know, building up you know, bricks or I think I was in charge of like an agricultural project, um, helping to sort of like till the land and, and map out the blueprints, thinking about what kind of vegetables and plants can grow in this kind of arid environment. It's very hot on there. Um, it was just a massive eye-opener at that age. And of course, Cambodia's got a very vivid history um, with dictatorships and the Pol Pot regime. So it's very humbling. <laughs> I think I owe a lot to that country for its Sort of development of me and the way I see the world today and then more recently I'd say Vietnam sorry not Vietnam Thailand Vietnam's the next one um Thailand which I went to over the summer and it was definitely a less educational trip and one for leisure but it's an absolutely beautiful place with some islands which are just you know definitely worth a flight yeah I ironically and uh, uh, kind of similarly I went to both those countries back in March of 2019 and I can relate to that humble feeling that you're talking about because they're all smiling out there. They're smiling and they've just had an absolute horrible brought up. I mean, most of the people there are young people, aren't they? Because of the, the horrible scenario that they've been in. And yet they are earning less than a dollar a day, basically. And I'm, I can see it in your eyes now that you recognize this as well. And yet they're still, they have some more happiness than I've seen in most people in the London underground who are earning three, three to 4,000 times that. Why do you think that is? I think it goes to demonstrate that really happiness isn't equated to money. Um, money is definitely a means to access things which might make you happy. But happiness in itself is a choice you can you can decide to be happy like yeah. you can you can make that vow with yourself and say i decide and choose to be and nothing's going to break that vow um and it has to be completely unconditional um and this is something i talk about with a lot of my friends who are going through like relationship difficulties for example and they, they make that comment of, i want to be happy as long as i'm with dot 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 it's something of well happiness isn't a condition it's a choice and a, a decision we make um you know you might not be in that relationship in the future but are you really going to let that break your vow and i think the people of sort of eastern cultures and traditions um really you know personify that and they take that with them day to day and like you say you can, you can meet somebody in, in on the street in cambodia with very little and they are the happiest person in the world um and like you say those people on six figure salaries are, are miserable and Obviously, that's not you know black and white. There, there are caveats to that, but yeah, it's a really humbling thing, and it definitely made you think. Okay, if that's the case, then what's it all about? You know, this this sort of Western idea of consumption and increased materialism equaling success is then really questioned. Um, and if you can really bring that back into 
what we talked about earlier, like that meditation and reflection and directing where your energies are going, what you want from life, then suddenly actually earning that six figure salary isn't the goal. Yeah. It's just not, it's just not breaking that valve of happiness. Um, and, and, and that's probably a more achievable aim to be fair. Um, and therefore makes sense to me to, to kind of definitely embark on that, on that trial. It's a tough road to go down, Dave. It's a tough road to tell people that their life isn't, the path they've been set isn't necessarily the path they should take. Um, and I think you and me, we've just sort of recited almost the Buddhist way of life. I, I consider myself somebody of, Buddh of Buddhist beliefs. Um, and I feel that when I was out in Thailand, where there's, a, a, you know, that's their main, main religion out there, um, I don't know about you, but the architecture and the, the sort of way that they paint the religion out there really has an effect on you. Did you see that when you, you saw some of the, the main sort of places to visit in, uh, for instance, in Bangkok, they've got um, quite a few of the sort of shrines towards Buddha. Yeah, I mean, you can't walk more than 100 metres, can you, without bumping into a temple or a, or a shrine, I'd say. But no, absolutely, I, it definitely it definitely draws out those kind of fundamental kind of beliefs and what it is, what's important really in, in the long run. And this kind of idea that there's like an earthly element to life and we have to be pragmatic in the way that we operate. Um, we need to go and get a job to, to have a, a sort of an existence in this Western world, but equally it's not about forgetting the other elements of things. Um, people will call that the mind or being or spiritual, however you want to coin it. But I think that's fundamental as well. I mean, we all know that our physical bodies or our, or our minds don't encapsulate who it is to be Chris or David. Um, actually, there's probably a part, you know, to us all that goes further and, and, and deeper um, and that takes us with you. Um, so, yeah, no, absolutely. You, you've gone on to a really important thing and something which, again, I think we, just, we need to remind ourselves of and, and exercise um, through, through sort of just being present and, and being in the moment really yeah yeah without a doubt and it's why i do this in the first place this podcast i'm locked into people i'm here with you chatting i'm here because i'm enjoying it i get a thing you know i i thrive in this environment of conversation and i really enjoy that you've you know you're bringing up a lot of the things that i find it hard to express myself sometimes and one of the ways that i do it is by writing in a journal I can't express something to someone else. I don't want to put my mental stresses. And I do love that you brought up relationships earlier because it can, some people can put their load on you and they can say, why aren't I happy? Why? Why? Tell me, Dave, what can I do to become better? And the problem is, is that they haven't addressed the, that they themselves are the reason why they are in that position in the first place. And that there is this level of, extreme ownership and wanting to be able to take things on yourself and solve these problems now traveling i think has awakened my mind and it, i don't know about you but it, it seems to have awakened yours as well in some way or another do you feel that different cultures have something to offer when it comes down to bringing yourself into being present or being this happiness finding this happiness in, in, in other cultures Absolutely. I think it's very easy to believe and identify with the sort of 
social norms and parameters that you are born into right so when you know we're here in reading at the moment and as soon as we're born in the royal berkshire hospital you have this this being this person and you know that's that's chris and it's you know an embodiment of everything chris is going to be between now and when when you die but you're fed this what i like to call a script where on day one you're coined as a man um second day you're coined as as chris um third day that you have um you know dark hair fourth day that you have dark eyes whatever it might be and every day you're fed this image you know when you're you know six months old you go to to touch a spider and your mum slaps your wrist and says no it's dangerous so then you're kind of in your mind you're building up this image of how you're going to operate um and if you're around other people that are just the same who have those similar kind of upbringings then you don't know any different you fly 12 hours around the world and suddenly you're around people who play with snakes because they're fun, um, who will eat a spider because it's nutritious. And there is no right or wrong. It's just broadening those horizons, really, and acknowledging that just because we're born into somewhere geographically or in a time um, doesn't necessarily make the way that we operate any better or worse. Those, those, what are those, what do those words even mean? It's, it's, it's completely spectral and, and of the time. And I think it's worth respecting and, to be honest, just soaking up as much of that as you can because like, knowledge is power, right? The more we know, the more we can kind of figure out for ourselves. We're not trapped by those sort of social constructions. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And on, from what you're processing there, in the sense that you're getting something different. And you're finding yourself in a different place and a different culture and it starts to shake up your life a little bit and it starts to move yourself away from and i don't know about you and this is i'm not saying this to any of my current friends because i love them to death but i'm saying at the time when i first went traveling it did make me think about who i surrounded myself with you know you, you start thinking to yourself is this person good for me? You've gone away. You've talked to people who treat you better than the people who treat you back home. Like, what's going on there? Why do you think, you know, if, if you've seen that, I mean, I remember when I first went to Australia and New Zealand, I never have been treated with such a like friendliness by people who don't even know me. And then I come back home and I come to England and we're as cold as ice <laughs> out here for some people. Do you, do you see this in, in day to day life? Do you see this? I mean, has COVID, for instance, do you get people in Reading? Because out, out here in Dorset, when I go for a walk, I say hello to everybody. I'm like, hey, what's up? What's going on? Do you, do you find that that's a, a thing down in the southeast or is it geographic? Is it, you know, there's so many ways I could put this, but what, what are your thoughts anyway? Really interesting to say about doors, actually. Um, I think well, in, in passing, you know, if I'm going on a walk around our local woods or park, and I and I and I see somebody, I'll, I'll say hi. That's just that's just me. But I think it's probably the nature of big cities. Take London, for example. It's it's fast, isn't it? It's hungry, and therefore people might be a bit more sort of introverted and and self focused. And that's not good or bad. It's just how that they how they operate within those within that context. Um, but no, absolutely, it does make you question, doesn't it? When you when you come back home, you think, why why are people acting in this way? And I think maybe part of the answer to that is that when you do go travelling, where, where you go um, away, you're you're making that decision, mm. as are other people who you meet in that 
in that time, right? So you've already got that in common. So when you go to university, you're all there for the same reason. You've got something in common. You're probably going to vibe better with them um, than the person next door who you had no choice in, in, in moving next door to. So yeah, it's, it's one of the things, isn't it, of making decisions and then putting that out into the, into the world, you get that back and that energy is reciprocated. So no, it's, it's, it's an interesting one. How, 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 how has it been for, for you in Dawson? Have you found that COVID's had a massive kind of change in the way that you've operated and the, the behaviours of the people, especially in terms of have they been more anxious or has it already been, effect, been affecting you as much? I think for, for me personally, um, I have made it my mission to basically try and achieve as much as possible. Now, that's my goal orientated mind. It's both good and bad. The good is that I get the stuff done. The bad is that I defocus from the moment. And this is why I love that you brought this up because it's tackling some of my weaknesses, something I'm not strong at. I admit that straight off the mark. Um, but, and COVID has, um, destroyed my plans you know i had so many plans i was going to be moving to australia i was going to be doing all this this that and the other uh, but instead i got a new job and here i am you know working remotely from home in in my parents house <laughs> uh, and you know you can see all this as a negative i see it as a positive a new way to become a better person now i've talked to you before about this we've, we've spoken off camera about realities now i when i said that i meant as in like your world at the moment because of covid is your house your family your friends this small you know the however big your house is however big your garden is you that's all you've got that's your reality and and i, I what i'm trying to ask is how do you make the best out of that reality and I, I've, I'm, and I know I'm, I feel like I'm repeating this back at you, but there's an easy way to deal with COVID and there's like a hard way. And I choose the hard way because that's who I am. Do you think that you're pushing yourself in this sort of reality? If you'd asked me a year ago, I would probably have given you a different answer to what I'm about to. And I mean, now I'm a far less resistant person though than I have been in, in the past you know I like you know I think this idea of trying to control things um is very natural to people it's you know part of your um kind of like reptilian mind if you like your ganglia is in your brain and it you know it wants to put out these molds into the world covid's here whether we like it or not right so we can spend all of our time getting um you know down in the dumps about it and Think, oh, I can't do this or that. Or you can just, you know, that classic saying of go with the flow, right? Taking your canoe upstream, just turn that canoe around and, and adjust. So my reality is basically in my coping mechanism is just not to put out those molds. And if I can't do one thing, okay, I'll do another thing. It's a redirection. I've yeah. not got any sort of control in it or say in this. So I'll just kind of do what I can. Um, with what so that's a classic saying that to do do what you can with the time that's given to you right to, to quote Gandalf but, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah there we go we got that but um yeah no it's absolutely what that it's just so don't say so different and so unknown so uncharted as you put earlier um less is more maybe with our with our ways of wanting yeah oh 
couldn't put it better myself, mate. I think that during this period of time, less is more is more than anything else. I mean, for those who can't see behind the camera, basically behind in my room right now, I've been sleeping on what you would call a Thailand mattress for the past eight months. So we've, I've gone full minimalism. I've got my desk to my left. This is my reality. It's a, what was a 10, 10 by 10 foot room. And this is what I've got to deal with for the, for this period of time. And for those who, who know me well is that for the past two years, I've been very much into exercise and I, I know you are as well Dave and I'm used to having access to a gym I don't have that here do you have you had to create your own home workouts like like myself yeah this has definitely been a bit of a bit of an adjustment and I'm um, I'm I'm nowhere near your caliber on Strava Chris so I'm not going to try and uh, get get go there but obviously I, I play a lot of sports always have done um, and I think rugby is not going ahead, ahead this season mm. which is a real shame so it's about yeah. accepting that and then redirecting our energies you know into like other ways of, of keeping fit and healthy so massive practices on like cv work and cardiovascular cardiovascular work home body workouts like i say you can't go to the gym anymore so just about kind of maintaining that sort of good nutrition and um, feeling good and like you say having that structure in your day that discipline to just it might be too it might be pretty cold but just get your shoes on often i find the hardest bit of being you know um sort of saying fit and healthy is is the bit before it starts you know going to the gym is probably the hardest part once you're there actually you're there and you might as well crack on it's the same with going for a run um it's just about maintaining that and knowing that in the long run it's definitely worthwhile because the season's going to come around next year um want to be fit and healthy and ready when it does yeah, without a doubt, mate. And you want to stay big and you want to stay jacked and you want to stay ready to take on the enemy when they, uh, they're, they're not your enemy. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah, no. uh, <laughs> the, the, the thing with for, for me is uh, it's just constantly trying to make yourself better. Just that little bit more. It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, all I've got in the, in my, in the garage, like you say, it's cold. It's, it's winter. You're like, oh, I don't want to do this. But when you get in there and you finally get the blood flowing, your hands start being white to the knuckle and they start getting a little bit hot and you're ready to go. And I think, like you say, once you get started, you can't stop it. You're just like, yeah, let's keep going. Um, I was, was going to put something else here as well. In self-help, um, is this with exercise being a part of my life and a big part and rugby being a big part of yours, do you miss that sort of team oriented sort of environment, you know, having that ability to interact with people? I know that for, for me, although my sports are solo a lot of the time, I do miss that interaction with other people in classes, for instance, or in, in spin class or anything like that. Just that, you know, having people around you. sports or done a club or a society where you are around other people and that becomes your norm it's quite difficult to then deviate from that I think it takes an incredibly sort of self-reflective and comfortable individual to be really wholly content just on their own for a prolonged period of time um, and that's certainly not where I'm at <laughs> I, I, I need to you know bounce off other people even if it's having a, a conversation over the phone or or whatever but yeah I mean I, I've always been around you know other other young young guys and um playing sports um, and having that kind of camaraderie, if you like. Same with with the cadets, I'm sure with you as well. You have that kind of idea of being in a team in unison, doing something together progressively and having that goal, that unified front. Um, 
I had that to a degree I still feel with with friends and my brothers who are like my best friends so so they're here with me with me with me now and I'm very lucky and blessed to have that um sort of well they're copies of you Dave so you know they're gonna they're gonna have that extra extra positivity there (laughs) well yeah they're they're waiting to play some ball games I'm sure but no it's 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 um one of those things isn't it it's like you want to just make sure that even if you can't see people that you're keeping each other going and I think that you, you touched on a really important point, which you know is always baked up with things like Movember, which is male mental health, and and that a lot of the time um, we are told and, and enforced to be quite stoic and cold and yeah, rugby, rugby, like lads, 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 and it's that kind of thing of you don't have to be like that. Um, you can just put your arm around a guy and say, "Look, mate, are you, are you okay?" And they might say no, and it's having those skills, that relationships, which you build on, on and off the field to then deal with that in a, in a friendship capacity so it all comes together for sure yeah i totally yeah i love that because the camaraderie actually makes you a better person afterwards because you're interacting you're getting to help others as well as yourself um, and i definitely developed that when i was in the gym uh, i've talked about silly stories on the podcast before of me making a fool out of myself and people coming to help me with weights when i couldn't lift them it, it's that it's that ability to have somebody there to be like look you're being a dick. I'm going to help you out. I do the kindness of my heart and just like do something like that. It doesn't have to be that extreme in my case, but like you said, putting your arm around another guy and just saying, it's okay, dude, we're going to be fine. You know, I, I grew up playing football. That was the complete opposite. And so for, for me, from the age of around five, all the way up until the age of 16, um, I played football and I'll be honest, kind of toxic in one way or another i know that's a commonly thrown around word but did you did you ever see that in in the difference between rugby and football that sort of camaraderie not not too much to be honest i mean i never really had that experience of of being in in sort of football environment i think the most i ever played football was was for the scouts and i'll never to do it again after i missed a penalty but um it's one of those (laughs) ones of yeah, I think different sports attract different people, and as you know, with rugby, I think for me, it, the, the All Blacks were a kind of a, a kind of a go-to yeah. kind of philosophy, if you like, of, of what it was to be a rugby player. Yeah, well, just you know, respect and teamwork and and leadership and all of these big terms, these umbrella terms we we throw around. That's what the the envision the vision was to be a to be a rugby player and and to play at whatever level. Um, and of course, you get different people, all, all types of people playing all types of sports. There's not a mould for a rugby player or a footballer, but it's just about making sure whoever you're around and whatever team you're a part of, that that resonates with you on some kind of level. And yeah, I think in every sport, you're going to get cliques. You get them at school, you get them in clubs and societies. Yes. But as long as you're okay yeah, and it doesn't bother you and, and you can kind of go about still feeling like you're, you're wanting to be there and it's progressive, you're doing the right thing. Yeah. I think that's a really good point is just like you're it's also partly you as much as it is part of the team and I do like the fact that you've you've stated that it can it can be um not the same in every there's not a mold there's not a structure for every single team so yeah really important case um I was gonna ask you this is I don't want to get too deep uh too too quickly here but I do want to ask if you had a piece of advice or something that you've received over the years that either through teaching through mindfulness rugby whatever it is and you were to to tell it to the future generations maybe your future kids or maybe someone something like that down the line 
what what would you what would be the main piece of advice you would give to them so i'd probably say um that saying like carpe diem of like seize a day is really valid you know where when a day's gone you don't get it back so make the most of it um one thing i did read or might have heard it on, on, a, on a kind of video once was of a, of a story where this this man and he, i think he was jim carrey actually and he's you know obviously dumb and dumb a great film but he spoke about how his father was um you know a high-flying businessman and went into the industry that he did not because he wanted to but because it would earn him a lot of money and even then when he had all, all this coming into the bank he was made redundant and he was absolutely miserable and he had effectively failed at something that he did not want to do so any advice i would give to people is if you know if you can fail at something that you don't want to do try and succeed at something that you love um and that idea of yeah you might shoot for the stars and fall short and you could catch the moon but at least you tried and no one can take that away from you so make the most of taking those opportunities that that really sing to you wow I'm going to end the podcast right there, mate, because that is a, a hell of a statement to make. And ironically enough, that I, I 100% back that because that's something that is important to me and my heart because there's a, a part of me that always wanted somebody to, to tell me that as a youngster because we have a lot of job-orientated, university-orientated qualifications orientated structures growing up and we're told that we need to hit this mark this mark and this mark by this amount of time and you need to have a house and a car and you it's it's like that um scene in uh, train spotting where he says grab a tele you know buy a television buy a, get a family have this that and the other and now you're starting to realize that none of it really matters and the truth is is that happiness and your choice to do what you want to do in life is key so thank you so much david cannon mate you you may have been up to this point my favorite podcast through some absolutely killer pieces of uh, pieces of advice there to, to people and, and telling your story and i'd love you to come back on at some point to to further these these questions that i still have that uh, I, I will get onto next time so thank you so thank much you know, absolutely thank you so much for having me really enjoyed it brilliant this has been the Taylor's Tales podcast. This is Chris's Corner. I'm your host, Chris Taylor. And that's with David Cadden. Thank you so much, guys. And I hope to see you next week.